From the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to Season 4 of the Wine Crush Podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world. Featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here is your host, Heidi Moore. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Wine Crush Podcast. Today, for episode nine of season four, we'd like to welcome Lava Terra Cellars and Suzor Wines to the studio here in beautiful, lovely, sunshining downtown McMinnville. Wine Crush is all about diving into the origins of the story behind the brand with the winemakers themselves. And so grab a glass of wine and enjoy the stories behind the vine. So today we're going to start with Greg and Melissa with Suzor Wines, and I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves because I've, well, I just spilt your names to the world, but you know, I want you guys to introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And you know, that kind of stuff. And we'll go from there. Well, we are Suzor Wines. We are the entire team, all two of us. Uh, I am Greg. I uh, started Suzor in 2011 and I was, uh, my one smart moment was getting to meet Melissa and I don't know if I convinced her, or I don't know if she very quickly saw that I needed her to uh, help make Suzor something bigger than uh, either one of us. And uh, we've been kind of uh, tag teaming it since then together. Well, if I got the story correctly, um, one of our very favorite people kind of were like that Cupid matchmaker for the two of you, because you both have French backgrounds, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but they thought these two French-speaking cute people should actually know each other. Is that the correct story? It is. We're always slightly ashamed to say where we met. It was at the Oregon Chardonnay celebration at the Allison a few years ago. And um, Greg's really close friend, Renee, from 100 Cents Wine, um, I had met her through her husband, through my work, and talking to her about my dreams and what was happening in my life and my background from Montreal, being French speaking, being really like new to the Valley and excited about all the changes that were happening. And that they actually, her and Dominique Mahé, um, which is the winemaker at Furioso, both introduced us. Six months later, I was pregnant. We were sharing the business, and the rest is history. <laughs> Man, you guys didn't waste any time. No, it was, it was all very, very uh, quickly done. No plans, but fortunately, it all has worked out wonderfully so far. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's always a great thing. I mean, if you start strong, hopefully you end strong, right? Yep. Well, I had such a great time hanging out with you guys up at Methven because that's where you make your wine. So we met up there to kind of taste through bottles and chit chat and kind of do my normal pre-podcast research and development or whatever you want to call it. So I think I would call it you coming out and having a good time hanging out with us. That's pretty much what it is. And I decided after I left that you two are going to be my new friends and you're going to come for dinner and we're just going to hang out more regularly because you really are just down the road from my house. And then Renee is right in the middle of us so we can invite Renee and it could be a lot of trouble. Yeah, it's a pre-planned party, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll send the invites out later, you know, after harvest. Yeah, Yeah, that would be (laughs) ideal for all of us, I think. Well, I want to start talking wines because we, you know, now we know where you're making wines and we want to get everybody excited about what you're making. So we brought two bottles today. I know you do more than that. So I want to kind of dive into, you know, what we're drinking um, because there is a story behind the label on this beautiful rosé that we've got in our glasses. But let's talk about what, where your vision is and what your style is and where we're going from here. 
I'll let you start, Greg, about how Caesar first started and kind of the initial, I would say, you know, chapter in Caesar's existence. And then I will tell you a bit more about what's coming up. Yeah, perfect. So I started with the idea of just wanting to be a classic Burgundian winemaker. The goal was I wanted to make one Chardonnay and one Pinot Noir. And I thought by doing that, that would have been perfect. That was the right business plan. And that's all I wanted to do. And for the first few years, that's exactly what I did. And I loved it. And very quickly, I also started to realize that people want to drink more than two wines from you. Great. You've got a Chardonnay. You have a Pinot. Do you have another Pinot? Do you have a Rosé? Do you have something else? And I said, no, no, I, I, this is what I have. These are, these are the, the, you know, the best output of, of what I see of what I can do. You know, it was, it was all of my energy going into these two bottlings. And it was, as I said, very classic, very traditional. I was lucky I worked uh, for a few people here in Oregon that were like-minded, very much traditionalists. I was also very lucky in that I got to go to uh, winemaking school in Burgundy. And that was exclusively, you know, this is how we do things. That was tradition, you know, in the land of it. So quick question um, before you continue. What is the definition of classic Burgundian? All right, you may have just exposed something because you know, well, you, you shouldn't have said you, it. Well, you know, you're you're right. I mean, I think I think uh, you know, on the other side of the of the ocean, we see it as okay. Well, that's classic Burgundian, but if you're in Burgundy, I don't think they would say there's anything that's classic. The styles there vary as much as they do here. You know, they're not all following one style, one rule. Um, so I guess I would say by classic, just this very you know, the goal is to make our Chardonnay and our Pinot very ageable. You know, I don't want to release uh, my newest wine and have you drink it right away. I want to be able to release it and have you hold on to it for five, ten years. You know, the goal is to make wines of longevity. So that, in my mind, is what uh, Burgundy kind of has uh, specialized in and perfected. Okay. Well, that's a good definition. I didn't know if it was, like, only Pinot and Chardonnay. Or that is... That's part of it. Very much it. Yeah, okay. you actually, you, you also defined it probably better than I did. Okay. Well, you know. It's, it's a matter of words, so. Yeah. Okay, continue with the story. Now we got the definition well, down. That was, you know, that was definitely the, uh, the first chapter of it, and uh, of Suzor. But then someone else came in and said, hey, let's start creating the next chapter. And that was Melissa. When I met Greg, like he said, there was a Pinot and the Chardonnay. And actually when, you know, people cannot see the labels, but the labels have a really beautiful story to them. I call them now the classic labels. They have this beautiful frame on this 2016 Tower Pinot in front of me. There is a knight, and Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was etched in one of the nearest chateaux from your family's farm in the Loire Valley. Yeah, it was medieval graffiti, basically. Super cool. And then there's a 14th century tower in the background that was on uh, Mina, which is how we call her, uh, Suzor Gips. Actually, Suzor comes from Greg's grandmother's maiden name. And so that tower was on her farm. So it's really just about storytelling, connecting with his French roots and making things that were really pretty. Um, I think the rosé that we're drinking right now is a little bit more Melissa in a style that it's very clean. It is a little bit more about, you know, the clear bottle. There's the um, escargot, so the snail in the corner. And that's just because this wine takes forever to ferment. It's a fruit from Greg's mother's vineyard. And also Greg, would love to have a snail farm one day, which is something that's still... Is that really a thing? <laughs> Seriously, is that really a thing? It could be a thing. 
Okay. Um, I mean, there's worm farms, so I guess there could be yeah. snail and slug farms. When we were moving my grandparents from France over to the U.S. Uh, back in 2006, I was going through the books, and we found this book, and it was Elevage des Escargots, the, the Raising of Snails. And I thought, okay, well, there's a book about it. My French is good enough that I can actually read and translate this book. So, all right, when I get the chance, we're going to start raising snails. It's been you know, 15 years and no snails have been raised, but it's still a, a future plan. This sounds like a future farm. So, you know, when you get ready to do that, let's talk. Cause I'm, you know, we may have to, you know, talk business at that point in time too. Never insured a snail farm. So that could be a new one for me. So <laughs> not sure what the investment and the setup looks like, but something to look into. <laughs> so now we make this rosé of Pinot Noir, but we also started making gamay and making uh, in 2020, we are making for the first time a, a PTG pasto de so a combination of gamay and Pinot Noir. Say that again, because you said that super fast in French. PTG, as one would uh, call it. I'm sure there is a reason why it's called Pastou Grain, but I don't remember anymore. Um, But that is the name of basically when you bottle in Burgundy uh, a combination of Pinot Noir and Gamay and the the percentages can be uh, quite varied. But that was kind of Melissa's idea of like, let's let's have fun with this. I, I always take wine too seriously. And Melissa does a really good job of just like, yeah, it can be serious, but it can be fun too. I think I think that's important. I think that's what people need to understand about wine. And I think I've talked, you know, with everybody about that is that wine has been kind of put on this pedestal in the United States about being this only drink it on a special occasion or only drink it, you know, when something great has happened. But in Europe, it's on the table every day, all day. I mean, I think I had wine for breakfast when I was in Spain. So, you know, it's one of those things to be celebrated and not taken so seriously all the time. I mean, there's definitely a time and a place for the seriousness. Um, I want to touch on Gamay, though, because you're seeing more and more and more Gamay, and it's this kind of this, I feel it's kind of this hidden gem in this world of Pinot over here. Yeah, I think, I mean, Gamay is the natural counterpart to Pinot and Chardonnay here in the Willamette Valley. And I I don't know why we didn't see it here sooner. I mean, Doug Tunnell from Brickhouse was kind of one of the, the pioneers as well as Amity, and it took a long time for people to go, wait, wait a second, this is delicious. So, you know, probably in the early 2000s, you started to see more and more, and now it's just, I mean, it's growing exponentially. Everyone's doing it. I mean, if you can have, it can grow a little bit of Gamay Good job because everybody wants to buy it. So is it as sensitive to grow as Pinot is? Because I know Pinot is an expensive grape to grow because it's so sensitive and it's and it's expensive to make, you know, even after you pick. Is Gamay kind of that same tenderness and love that you have to put into it like you do Pinot? It's, it's got thicker skins and it naturally wants to yield a little bit higher. So those are two very positive things. So you're going to get more without even trying, it will naturally kind of hit that ripeness, uh, even holding a higher yield. And yeah, I mean, I've never seen much in the way of rot on Gamay. It just seems way less prone to it. I mean, Pinot is the most delicate of all the grape children. You know, that is what we, we work with and it is so difficult. So it's really kind of a relief with Gamay. You just kind of, oh, it'll just, it'll sit through the rain if necessary. So with that, we've kind of gone 
kind of through your lineup, what you're kind of going now. So if you were to pick your favorite child, is there one since you've called them all children of grapes, you know? So let's let's find the favorite because, I mean, when we're talking labels, I go straight to the snail, which we've now discussed at length, you know, what your future plans are with that. So what what is your favorite to make and then also to drink? I'll start to drink. Um, Greg is, of course, a very talented winemaker, but in 2017, for the first time, we did a vineyard dissonant from Menifee Vineyards, which is his mother's vineyard in Yamhill, Carlton. And it's a site that is naturally cooler, so I'm um, right on the coastal, the foothills of the coastal range, so less afternoon sun, higher elevation, and it's year in, year out, just the most elegant fruit that we bring in. It's hard sometimes to even get like a deep coloration out of it. It's just super pretty. I always refer to it as lace almost. And for the first time, we highlighted it on its own in a bottling that had no new oak, so really letting that elegance shine through. And it's it's my favorite. What about you? Uh, yeah, it's similar for me because it's also from Menifee, but we just grafted uh, two acres of Pinot Noir to Chardonnay at my mother's vineyard, Menifee. And Chardonnay has always been one of my favorites just to produce but to watch because you get it, you get the juice right away. So you get to taste the juice and then you put it into barrel or we put our uh, juice directly into barrel and then you taste it and it tastes like juice. You're a kid, you're tasting this very, very sugary juice and then you you come back a few days later and that natural ferment starts. It's still juice but it's got like a little bit of bubbles and then a few days later almost becomes like a soda you know, it's carbonated because of the fermentation, but there's very little alcohol. And then a few days pass, and it's kind of an adult soda now because it's still fermenting, it's bubbling, there's alcohol, it's 3 4%, and the tastes are starting to change. And that progression, you know, day by day, week by week, it's always changing, and it just progresses to something wildly interesting. So all this I, to say, your favorite is? the Menifee Chardonnay that we're going to be bottling in two weeks. Okay. Thank you, Melissa, for actually making him answer the question. So I was already going to go past it and, and say something else. So that's what a wife is good for. Nice Indeed. Yes, keeping him in line. Um, I did want to highlight and ask about the elevation of the Menifee Vineyard because when we talked to Dwayne and Dina, you know, with Lava Terrace next, that elevation difference is a huge, huge swing. So, you know, in the Willamette Valley, what's the sweet spot? 800 to 1,000 elevation-ish? Much less so. I mean, so I think, you know, at 200, 250 feet is where you kind of start for being, you know, Willamette Valley Appalachian or the individual unique Appalachians, whether it's, you know, Van Duzer or um, Yamhill Carlton. But what we've found more and more, and it, it takes us, you know, a long time of, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. Melissa has been doing this for, how long have you been doing this for? I mean, in, in inside of Oregon, you've been doing it for already seven years. Um, that's not including, uh, you know, everywhere else. But you kind of learn, everyone's sweet spot is different. But fortunately, both of us gravitate towards what in, what in the Willamette Valley would at least be considered higher elevation. Uh, I just learned that you can grow grapes in Oregon at 3,300 and something feet. And it blew my mind. So I can't wait to hear that side of the story. But here, you know, I think 500, 400 is pretty standard and it does an amazing job. But what we found is slightly higher elevation in a site that's already cooler 
really speaks to us and what we want to do. It's it's so interesting. I can't wait to kind of dive into that with them as well because, I mean, you just don't think about that elevation being really all that different and everything kind of symbiotic as far as, like, you know, everybody should be between this elevation and this elevation, and that's where the perfect wine comes from, and that's not the case. So I want to pause right there because we've got empty glasses and we got more wine to drink. So we're going to stop here and come right back with Greg and Melissa. So we are back with Greg and Melissa, and we are in the process of pouring wine for everybody with empty glasses or, well, that wants it. So let's uh, let's talk about this wine really quick um, and tell us what we're drinking now. 2016. Uh, this is our Pinot Noir called The Tower. Uh, the Tower, I think as Melissa was talking about, it's, it's I kind of take it for granted, but as a kid, whenever I would go visit my grandparents in the Loire Valley, in France, they had in their backyard, like, you know how you have maybe a shed in your backyard, this kind of like a lean-to that you store old boxes, whatever. Theirs was a 14th century lookout tower created by blocks of stone. It was beautiful. And so that's what we uh, we call the tower, that in, in kind of a homage to their insane backyard. Well, that kind of leads into the story and kind of the you know, origin of what Suzor Wines is. And there was details that you talked to me about with both your grandmother and that tower and things that just like vividly stuck in my mind. And I was actually telling my daughter who is deathly afraid of spiders about the tower the other day. And I thought I was going to get decapitated. She's like, mom, just zip it. You know, I don't want to hear about it. Probably gave her nightmares for days. So let's talk a, let's talk about where I want to talk about the property where you grew up kind of in the French countryside, your grandmother and, you know, kind of all the things that you told me, because that really lends, I think, to, you know, what you're doing now, your personality, kind of what your goals and, you know, all that kind of stuff is. And I think, you know, Melissa has, you know, a great story, too, because I believe she moved around quite a bit and experienced wine on a number of different continents and levels and all kinds yeah, of great so, I mean, stuff truth be told i grew up in the, the <clears throat> wild suburbs of san francisco but i was very lucky in that my mother's from france and her parents still lived in the loire valley and where they were situated it was amazing i mean they were deep deep farm country i mean they were surrounded by fields of wheat or sunflowers every year and every year that we came in we stayed for the summer it was it was incredible my mother was also, you know, she was in the wine business in the 80s, and she worked for a distributor. And so her job when we went to go visit family in France was also to go taste wine, go to different cellars. And so to our west, we had Chinon, which is amazing, you know, Cab Francs from the Loire Valley. To the east, we had Montlouis and Vouvray, which makes you know, amazing Chenin Blancs. And we were not that far away from Burgundy, and we made trips you know, all over to taste those wines. So that was, you know, as a six-year-old kid, that was not the most fun, but it didn't take me too long to figure out, you know, even by 10, I was tasting, I remember the first wine that I really remember, it was a Muscadet. I was 10 years old, I tried this wine and I was like, oh, like this is, this is special, this is fun. And my parents, they were really generous. They didn't say, what are you doing? Stop drinking wine. And so they said, okay, fine, you like it. Like, 
why do you like it? You know, you don't get to just like it. You have to, you know, use some words. And so I was kind of forced to like understand why I liked this wine. And it, it's always stood with me. And it's, that's kind of, that was probably, you know, the, one of the big seeds that I, you know, that I started to learn from. And I think that Suzor really grew from. So let's skip over to Melissa and kind of get her background too, and kind of where wine originated for you. And then we'll kind of figure out how, how this all melded together and, you know, the path, you know, to where, why you're in Oregon. I grew up in a wine family, a wine lover family. My brother-in-law is um, someone that is exceptionally knowledgeable. And um, I grew up, he would host these tastings and in exchange for me kind of being the, you know, the, the, the bus girl or whatever, how you say that in English. Can you say bus girl? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Clearing tables. Clearing tables and cleaning the, you know, the glassware. I get to sit at the table with all these people and taste the wine. So at a very young age, and bear in mind, Montreal, halfway, I always like to say, from a cultural standpoint, it's kind of halfway between America and Europe and France. So it's also very normal for us as a young age, six, seven, eight years old, to have a little sip of wine at the table. Um, so I grew up in the world of wine as well, which took me, you know, to work in France. Actually, I harvested for a winery in the Loire Valley as well. So I have a connection with that place that's really special to me. Then I worked in um, the service side of things in Paris for a little bit. And then this opportunity to come and open a winery in Oregon um, from my brother-in-law's connection uh, was brought up. And I kind of took a leap of faith and moved to Oregon. I had never been here before. So it's been exceptional. Well, you've stayed, and and you got married, and you had a really really cute kid. I always so, thought it was exceptional. You know, I think you've done okay. She came from Montreal, lived in London, Paris, and when I met her, she was living in Dayton. Uh, you know, it doesn't usually go, you know, Montreal, London, Paris, Dayton, um, but it did. Uh, Dayton is high end, high class. And I've always been incredibly appreciative that Dayton was on that list because if not, I would not have met her. So. Yeah, you know, things, you know, are serendipitous sometimes and you go weird places that, you know, lead to great things. So, yeah, so Dayton is it. Yeah, there, you know, there you are. Lucky for Greg. So you had all this background, Greg, in France with your grandparents and your mom. So everybody somehow migrated to Oregon. So how did that happen? Because that's, again, you've gone from Paris, beautiful 14th century towers with all this great history and sunflowers and you landed in McMinnville yeah, and Yamhill. Um, very weirdly, my whole family, um, we all live here now in either Portland or McMinnville or Yamhill. Uh, truth be told, my whole family went to this uh, college in Portland called Reed College. And then we migrated away, came back, but we all ended up you know, staying here. And weirdly, um, you know, my mother ended up planting a vineyard with my father and Thank God for that, because that's kind of really the core of what uh, we use for fruit for Suzor. My brother-in-law, he actually uh, owns uh, Coronology, which is a wine laboratory, and he also brings in barrels from Burgundy. So we've been working with him from the beginning to find the right French oak barrel to work with our Pinot program and our Chardonnay program. So it's been incredible having family number one to support you number two to you know help babysit when you need to go do something but also i mean they are weirdly all in the wine business as well and then you know with melissa her family also has uh kind of newer roots but in the oregon wine business so i 
you had talked about your grandmother. I don't know how you guys talked her to move from where her beautiful chateau was over there and here, but you had told me how her expression was when you decided to name the wine after her. And and it was... Yes. I mean, coming up with a name is always uh, difficult. And I decided, you know, my grandmother, we call her Mina. Her name is Sila, but I call her Mina. And you know, she was really kind of the anchor of the family, uh, of the reason why we got to be in France. I thought, okay, I need to pay homage to her. And her last name, or her maiden name is Suzor. And so I waited until I actually had the first bottle. You know, it was already done. First bottle was beautiful. I was so proud. It was my entire life savings going into this thing. And I kind of you know, presented it to her like you would at a high-end restaurant. Like, here you are, Mina. And I said, and look, you know, it's, it's called Suzor. And I was waiting for her to just kind of say, oh, Gregory, you are my favorite grandchild. I knew that's what she was going to say. And, you know, she looked at it and she kind of goes, oh, that's nice. Like, what else are you going to do today? She was just like, okay, c'est bon. <laughs> Is she supportive and loves the project? Uh, 100%, actually. Uh, our first three vintages, we did a screw cap. And I would always drop wine off to her. And so I dropped off a case. She called me a few days later and she said, um, I need help with the wine. I was like, oh gosh, maybe it's too heavy. I need to move it. Maybe I, you know, so I go over to her house and she couldn't snap open the screw cap. So she had me open up every single bottle and then just kind of close it back up because she wanted to drink it when she wanted to drink it. So she's been incredibly supportive. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I just, there's so much more that you went into detail with that. And I, you know, with her and, you know, her cooking and her moving to Oregon and all that. And I just, I love it. I love grandmother stories because they're always so colorful and wonderful. Yeah, she's really, uh, I think Oregon, even though she moved to Oregon when she was about 85, that I think is when she retired because she was the family cook in France. You know, she would go to one village for the carrots and another village for the leeks because you don't go to that village for the leeks. That's the bad place for it. You need to go here. She was very specific about where to get everything. And when she came to the States, that was the day that she stopped cooking. And she said, I'm just, I can't do it here. Everything tastes different. The water is different. The flour is different. The sugar is different. No more cooking. And so you know, bringing her to Oregon was wonderful because it was her chance to finally retire as well. That's perfect. Well, we are running out of time because we have been chatty and I love it. So two things. We need to figure out where to find you guys and where to buy the wine. On the website is the best place. Probably we always run out. We make so little production. And so we're in very lucky that we often, I would say, kind of are on a short cycle and run out. So the best place to Keep an eye on suzerwines.com on our website. And then we deliver and we ship and we do porch pickups and all the fun stuff. Um, so the current release is the rosé. It's actually going to be released next week. So we're tasting it for the first I love time. it when we get secret glimpses of things. Get first choice. So, and then the next release should be the Gamay and I fall. definitely want a phone call when that comes out because I didn't get to taste that when I was up at the winery. So We promise we'll save some for you. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. For the party we're going to have. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And so the last question is always kind of a gamble because, you know, you just never know what the answer is going to be. So question is, 
you're we're going to use France as a as a you know a a station and a background. You're driving through France and you run into the celebrity that you would most like to share your wine with. What wine are you going to share with them? Because of course you have a case of everything in your car. And who is that person that you are going to share that wine with? Because they're going to be great to talk to and they're going to be just, they could be great to look at too. Nicholas Cage. 100%. I think he's wild, bizarre, a huge Elvis fan, as am I, and I think it would be great to have a conversation with him. As to which wine, that is the gamble. I mean, he just uh, filmed a movie about a truffle pig here in Oregon. So I think it would have to be Oregon Pinot Noir, so I think it would have to be our uh, 2016 Tower. That's a great answer. Do you got one to add to that? Seriously. I'm like going back to my roots. It's Celine Dion. She is fabulous. She is dressed up like a queen. And we are drinking champagne I all day. I love course. it. So those were great answers. I, it's just great. That was perfect. Okay. Well, thank you two so much for joining us. This has been so fun, as I knew it would. And uh, we'll be in touch because, you know, we got parties to plan and wine to drink. Thank you for having us. It's a date. Thank you. I want to thank again um, Melissa and Greg from Suzor Wines from sharing their stories and sharing their wine and their personalities. And we're going to switch gears. And up next is Dwayne and Dina Barker from Central Oregon with Lava Terrace Wine. So fill your glasses and we'll be right back. So we have Dwayne and Dina Barker with us with Lava Terrace Cellars. I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves even though I just said your names, but I want you to kind of take the mics and tell us who you are and you know what you're doing. Well, thank you for having us, Heidi. We really appreciate being here. It's really a lot of fun, so, and we appreciate it having you out. Um, I'm obviously Dina Barker, so Dwayne has a much deeper voice than I do. And um, we've been um, over in Bend for, oh gosh, I moved to Bend in 1994, so a long time ago, and a lot of changes going on. So when I met Dwayne, it was just a, a really fun time in life. We actually met at a Chamber of Commerce event many, many moons ago. And um, we just got to talking and had a lot of things in common. And so it was just kind of one of those wonderful, magical relationships, friendships. And we had a lot of fun. And so after we got married and everything, it was just kind of one of those fun things. And I wanted to have like sustainable farming going on. And so that's really what my goal for living on property, because it was the first time I'd actually lived on property when I moved in with Dwayne. And we had five and a half acres. It was just like, oh, my gosh, there's this big canvas of things. I could do all this kind of fun stuff I've always wanted to do since I moved to Central Oregon. And so that's where we got started with uh, where we are now. I'll flip it over to him. That's a great story. It, it, and it, um, I moved to Central Oregon probably, I think it was 1983, and uh, ended up uh, buying an, a beautiful piece of property on the north end of Bend, which was basically for horses or cows or whatever you wanted to do. And, uh, uh, you know, we started doing some nice gardens and stuff, and I've always kind of worked with the earth, so... Dina decided that I should go to this OSU extension thing about growing grapes in Central Oregon. I go, oh, okay, what? I'll just, you know, I'll go check it out. And the neighbor, 
me and the neighbor went and you know it was kind of cool I, I couldn't believe they were growing grapes in central oregon number one i'm like wow this is this is kind of crazy and so got back told her about it and she she just like well let's let's do it i go well, okay so we ordered some um some vines from inland desert up in washington uh brought in some pinot noir and some marichal foch and i thought i almost killed them the first year i didn't know you had to do frost protection that uh, yeah, I almost killed them in, in the like a week after I planted them, and they came back two years later. They had fruit. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Let's make some wine. You can tell them about <laughs> tell them about the, the making the wine ourselves. That was uh, that was an experience, but it was kind of funny. Yeah, so we're really good about you know getting the, all the vegetables out of the garden and going down there and juicing everything. So we figured. Well, you know, they're grapes. Let's put them through the juicer. Let's actually... We had no idea what we were doing. You know, extracting juice and all that kind of stuff and put it in there. And I don't know what else we did last... After that point, it was was just... It's been the running joke. We learned all that. We didn't have the background of the, you know, the winemaking and all of those things. We just love wine. So it was, you know, a natural thing to just... It's one of those things. So... Christine, who um, is a friend of yours, works with you, she had reached out to me because, you know, we're always looking for great stories, great people. And when I saw that you guys were in Central Oregon, I'm like, I don't know what to think about this, you know, because I didn't realize there was really grapes growing over there. And so I did come over and um, we did a tasting at your house and saw your, you know, we'll talk about your new tasting room here after a while. But it was really mind blowing to me. I mean, you brought Carrie um, in, who is one of the original um, vineyard managers. He has his own vineyard, whatever. And the history of what Bend is and what it is becoming is was just incredible. And I just, I didn't really know what to think about it. And then you brought out all these wines. I'm like, oh my god, I don't. And now I really don't know what to think about it. So, you know, we talked about um, we talked about elevation. You know, with with the Yamhill Valley and the Willamette Valley and whatever. So let's actually talk about the elevation of what you guys are planting in. So the highest point of our vineyard is 3,440 feet. So we, you know, think that we're the, the highest vineyard in Oregon, but we're not really sure, but we, we like to think so at this point in time. We know that uh, there's one over on the eastern side that's 3,400 feet, so we've got them by 40 feet, and we're excited about that. But uh, actually, the interesting thing about the property is not only just the elevation of the property, but it is all about the volcanic soils. And this this property literally is on a lava flow, and it was a, a dairy farm before that, so there is you know some pasture land and some other things, but we had a lot of really unusable landscapes on it where it was just sagebrush and it wasn't doing anything. And so the more we read about um, what you do with grapes or where you plant those, it became uh, apparent that, you know, if we were to clear off that area and use that for planting grapes, that that would be kind of the best place to do it. And so it really helped us to kind of, you know, take and, and, you know, cultivate areas of the property that were never going to be used for anything and to be able to plant this beautiful vineyard on there and it be in volcanic soils and we we actually had to add dirt in some places because we were literally sitting on bedrock and so putting the the grapes in those areas and just kind of transforming the whole place and 
the Lavateris name comes from the fact that it's actually scaped with the Lavaterises down several areas in the the vineyard itself on the property. So there's so much solid rock there that you know on the upper vineyard we to to put trellises up the end end posts had to be pillars, rock pillars, literally that we Mm -hmm. used uh, fencing wire and put chunks of rock in it to hold the trellises up and then uh, some of the some of the areas I, I finally bought I found out I could drill into the lava rock and so I'm drilling into the lava rock 18 inches and welding rebar on the end of the the trellis post the uh, for vertical shoot and anchoring them in that way otherwise there's it would just be horribly expensive to have an excavator come in there and bang that rock out but the, these grapes will grow on a crack of a sidewalk. I mean, it's it's amazing. There's some places out there, there's like three or four inches of soil. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you, because, I mean, you know, we always talk about the Willamette Valley, because, I mean, that's really kind of who we've had on the show over the years. And you're talking about, you know, volcanic soils over here, but you're also talking about, you know, this rich bedrock and these Missoula floods and things that have come through and deposited all this rich soil. Um, you also get a lot of rocks and whatever, but it is nothing like Bend as far as rocks and sagebrush and and kind of des- a desert landscape, really. Yeah, the the lava there is, I think it's 11,000 to 15,000 years old, and it, it came out of the Newberry Crater out of, down by Lapine. It was just huge lava flows from that volcano. So there's, it's a pretty young formation in geological terms. It's... Uh, it's also, I don't know, it's also intriguing to me on so many different levels. I mean, you got the, the, the rock geology level, you have the science, you have the viticulture and the vines, and it's just, I, I don't know, I, I still am kind of kind of mind blown with it. But I want to kind of bring Carrie into this, even though he's not here with us, because he gave me so much history and background of what Central Oregon is and where they're going with your vineyards. And so can we kind of talk a little bit about that and what you guys are looking forward to the future and um, where Central Oregon is standing right now um, with AVA status and things like that? So with an AVA, uh, we haven't even begun to, you know, start the process for looking into that, but we've been thinking about it. I am not on the board for the Central Oregon Grape Growers Association anymore. Um, but I had been previously for the last five years. And, and so I know that that's conversations that have gone on. But really what we're trying to um, kind of express and share is that you know you can grow grapes in Central Oregon. And there's a lot of different um, areas and there's a lot of different uh, terrain out there that's actually really good for this. And the high altitude, you know, especially with the hybrids that we're growing. So not everything grows there. You know, so Dwayne mentioned that we originally had planted Pinot Noir, which is great. We did because I love Pinot Noir. I, I insisted on it. Inland told me, don't do it. And I insisted on it. But we have And like you started with 20? So most and of them did not survive. They probably would have if I, if I knew what I knew now. I probably, I have actually thought about doing another test row just to see, you know, how it reacts in that climate. Back to the the, 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 the vineyard, the, um, one of the crazy things is she's talking about sites in Central Oregon. There are sites that are really good, and there are sites that are really, really bad. And airflow, uh, cold air, downhill, elevation, southeast exposure, southwest exposure, good. Down in the lowlands, the pasture lands, bad. We just get those nights where, you know, we get a... I believe the word's convection frost, 
um, where we'll have, I've, I've recorded 12 degrees of difference between the top of the vineyard and the bottom of the vineyard at the two weather stations. So we can be we can be 42 up above and 30 down below, and it, it's the air sets in there. So you just really need to to choose a good site to grow grapes over there. And we also have to have uh, overhead water sprinklers for frost protection because so, we break bud in May, usually sixth, seventh, eighth of May, and we know we will get a hard frost somewhere in there if not one maybe two even three it's i mean the whole weather pattern over there is completely different because you're dealing with thunderstorms and hail where we don't really deal with that on this side of the state you know as much anyways i mean if we get it it's freak it's you know where you guys get it it's somewhat normal correct we 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 get hit usually once a year but not severely we did get hit severely this year but thankfully for my which I thought was ingenious at the time. Then people told me, well, what are you doing? We, we have a double, a double uh, vertical shoot uh, cordon that's 16 inches apart. And because of that, the hail can come in. And this was the worst hailstorm I think that it's ever hit over there. Because of that extra canopy, we have a really good fruit set, fruit load this year, even with that severe hail on three out of the four varieties that we're growing. Well, it sounds like it's almost like experimental farming too, because I mean, there isn't any history, I mean, or long history with this. So, and it, you know, I wanna say before we kind of break and we start talking about wine is that, you know, when I drove into your property, I mean, you have like this, again, this desert rocks, sagebrush, you know, and then you get into your property and there's all these green vines. I mean, it's just, it was just kind of like this little oasis in the middle of the desert that was really quite beautiful. Yeah. The birds and the deer know that too. So. <laughs> well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we've always told everybody, we live in a park, you know, because they come out to the the house and they're really never expecting to see all the greenery and everything that's around us. Well, I want to break right there because we have so much to talk about about the wine because you're not doing the normal varietals that we're used to over on the west side. And I want to definitely get some time with that. So let's pause right there. We're going to actually, you know, I'm going to finish drinking the wine that's in my glass and we're going to move on to the red that's sitting in the bottle there across the table. So. Okay, we are back with Lava Terrace and Dwayne and Dina Barker, and we're going to start talking about wine because we kind of hinted it to it with the first little segment about that you were doing things different because you're in Bend and that is a completely different climate, elevation, and just everything. So you have varietals that you are growing over there that um, I've never heard of, and you're planting new ones that sounds super pretty and i've never heard of those either so um melissa just got really excited when you brought out the first wine because it reminds her of home and everything else so it was kind of fun to see her skipping along the room here getting her glass in the way so let's talk about everything wine and i'm going to let you guys kind of tell us what you're doing uh, thank you. Uh, so, yes, Melissa was excited about hearing the words Maréchal Foch because in France, people do know Maréchal Foch, and it's been around a very long time. This particular varietal has been around for more than about 150 years. And so there's a long story behind that, but I won't go into that because, honestly, that 
we don't want to hear about that. But the Marichal Foch is a, is an amazing, exciting, uh, dark red, really yummy wine that you can get from this grape. It's uh, the grape itself is um, uh, they're small clusters. They're very tight. Uh, so it's a small berry, but it is one of the few of the grape varietals that actually have pigment in the pulp itself. So when you press this off, you are going to get this beautiful color. And then when you add the skins for a while, you're going to get this just amazing It color is like, like this dark magenta, purple, like yummy. It's like deep, dark, beautiful wine. Yes. yes. Stain your shirt when that. you spill it and this. stain your teeth when you drink too much of it. Yes, yes. yes. So it, it's one that more people might be familiar with. And then the other... Uh, Four varietals that we have other than Marichal Foch going on now, um, Marquette. Marquette is the name of the grape. These are all the names of the grapes. Marquette is another red, and it also has pigment in the pulp as well, not as heavy as the Marichal Foch. And we actually made our rosé with the Marquette grapes this past year for 2020. And so when you see that in the bottle, which you saw earlier, you notice that it has this just really beautiful darker color. It's not the lighter color that you're going to see in a lot of the rosés, but that's just how the grape presses off. That's the color that's of pretty uh, crazy. the juice when it comes off. It crazy. was never on skins or anything. And that's even, even crazier because, I mean, when you look at that bottle, it kind of glows this kind of like, I don't know, this dark pink. It's really pretty. And it's really pretty in the glass, and it's really pretty on the palate as well. So, But I would have assumed that you would have set that on skins for a while because it has – it's probably one of the darkest rosés I've seen, but I also have not had a rosé of Marquette. So we're really proud of the, the Marquette rosé. So that was a first for this year. So we've made reds out of it for the last uh, 17, 18, and 19 for the last three years. So we have no Marquette red for 2020, just the rosé. So the La Crescent is white, and La Crescent is the grape varietal itself, too. And it's a very unorganized um, berry cluster. So it's big and lanky, um, not really, not really um, as far as uh, organized, uh, you know, it doesn't look the, the perfect beautiful, but it makes this really amazing white wine. Um, and depending on the style of the winemaker, you can actually have it be a little more sweet. It could be a little more crisp. You're gonna, it's going to depend on the, the style of the wine that you get. And also, you know, whatever the weather's giving you in the, the grape varietal or the grape itself that year. So it's going to vary. We actually um, opened that bottle yesterday. So I had a 2018 bottle that you sent me home with when I was there a couple months ago. And you had different winemakers from what you brought today and, and that one. And so Sammy and I had that yesterday. And it was kind of this more buttery, rich, um, kind of caramely back end of it. And then today it was very crisp and light and just would be great with almost anything you wanted to pair with it as far as food. Yeah. And both of those are from the different winemakers, so a little bit different styles. But it also, I, I think we're going to be, um, because of how we're doing ours and, you know, the small batch, you know, winemaking that we're doing, they're all going to taste a little bit different uh, from year to year. So La Crescent's just this, this amazing grape, and a lot, I think a lot of people use it more for a blending grape, but we really like the way that it, it shows itself in the glass 
when you when you have that and it has a little higher tannin so it can be something that you can lay down a little longer too mm-hmm. so um, that's one of them and the Brianna Brianna is a very exciting grape for us um, some people may be familiar with the Brianna it's um, a, a wine grape but people also use it as a table grape it's a big berry and so back east it's a it's probably a little bit more well known and then what we what we envisioned for Brianna was actually taking it and using it as a sparkling wine. And so we're real excited about the fact that you can do sparkling wine with it, but you can also use it for blending. And so it, it has a lot of really interesting properties to it. You know, from the, the wine that we've made from it so far, it, you know, I personally, you know, taste a lot of the peach and a little bit of the melon and the slight citrus that you're going to get through that. And that, to me, is something that's going to translate well into the sparkling wine. So that's really the intent beyond, you know, for the Brianna itself. We're also doing um, a new uh, grape varietal that came out, which is Crimson Pearl, which has just been released, I think, only the last, like, two years. Well, it was it was released probably six or seven years ago, but 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 it takes years and years for them to, to work with these the cross-pollination of these different vines to find vi- vines that, you know, disease-resistant, drought-resistant, fungal-resistant, that make good wine. And, and, and the biggest thing is cold hardiness in the climate we're at because it's not so much the, the summers. The summers are great. We get the intense sunlight, the berries, the skins are thicker because of that. We're growing on we're the high altitude because you know that's why the sun's more intense and we're not like the willamette valley where you know we we can have two months of sunshine no clouds at all over there i mean it's been intense over there this year and honestly the vines are doing really well even with the heat um but the the uh, crimson pearl uh, i believe we are the first ones to plant it commercially in the state it was it, an inland desert uh, brought it in a couple years ago, and it takes them a, a few years to you know get get to where they can do cuttings. And I got I got 90 this year. I wanted 250 or 500, so I've got to wait. I've got this plot of land ready to plant, and it's it's going to be uh, fallow for a while. It's it's a beautiful name to the to the grape itself. It sounds like it should be like a color for a hot rod paint color or something. You know, it's just it's I don't know. It just sounds very special and sparkly yeah we're excited about it but we don't know anything about it yet but we'll know because in the bottle is one you know we're gonna be what three years yeah we'll we'll have brianna before we're in production with uh the marichal foch a marquette and la crescent and brianna will follow here close in the next couple years Uh, and then uh you know we'll, we'll be doing some different blends once the crimson pearl comes up we'll see if we can do something with combining them which brings up the fact that, you know, the reason we need to grow these grapes and not vinifera is um, at 3,400 feet in the high desert, we can have those winter vortexes come down and, and you know, we can be 20, 30 below zero. I've lived in Bend since the, the, the 80s and I've seen 25 below zero over there for a week. And these varieties will not die back they will lose some buds but they can survive down to 30 below zero because of their native american uh heritage along with the french varietals being crossed so that that is the biggest reason and they have a shorter 
they have a shorter uh, groin degree day requirement to get to the right sugar levels to make good wine. Where, like I say, if we tried to grow Zinfandel, it would still be like halfway green by the time we had to pick because just there's not enough growing degree days in the season. And that's what I was going to ask you next because I mean you 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 have three Pinot plants left, and then you have your you know the hybrids and the varietals that you're planting that are good for the desert and the Bend area and all the weather differentiation. I mean you go from negative twenty to probably 105, 110, you know, fairly easily on a summer day. So growing like what we are used to in the valley with the Chardonnay and the Riesling and the Pinot really probably isn't really an option. For I, there. you know, I'm kind of crazy. I, I really think I could probably grow Pinot over there. I don't know what the wine would be like yet. Uh, we've got a, we've got a um, um, home winemaker that's going to pick up the fruit this year and he's made uh, wine with it before. And it, it it's, it's, you know, it's good, but I don't know that the risk is that you take growing it will pay off in the end because if you do get one of those vortexes, it's going to die back to the ground. If it's not self-rooted, you're going to, you're just going to lose it. Uh, but they have survived in the one spot that we have. One of the funny things though is like it was last year or it was 2019, we were actually picking the last of the grapes off the vines and the snow was flying. You know, you're out there and there's just, you, you never know, you know, how if you wait too late, it could be snowing. Well, Central, Central Oregon's a wild card as far, as far as weather. I mean, even though you have the mountains on the one side, you can still really get a weather system that moves in and out quickly. You definitely can. And, you know, it's, um, you always want to make sure that you're just thinking about what the weather pattern's gonna be coming in and getting the grapes off the vine before you, you know, they won't grow anymore. At yeah, a certain they're point, not, yeah, they're, they're done. Sure. You know, they're not going to take any more nutrition. They're not going to change. It's, it's, it's over with. So you might as well just get out there and pick it. Well, I want to definitely talk about your tasting room because when I came over there, that was the first stop. It's not open yet unless something has changed recently. But it's really a cute spot. You've done a great job, you know, with the design and the decor in there. So I want to talk a little bit about that and then how people find you and where to buy your wine and um, make sure that, you know, buy the wine. That's what this is about. Yes, thank you. you know, well, the tasting room, uh, it was fun. We, we have a, a separate building on the property and we were able to convert part of that. So the whole process was we, we really want to have people come out and experience the vineyard and have a place where they can come and relax. And, you know, that that's our vision at the end of the day is to have this place that's unique that you can't find any place else in Bend. You know, you can always go to a tasting room and you can be downtown and, you know, wander around and all that. But, you know, to come out to the vineyard and have a place and we put in about 3,000 square feet of uh, paver patio area in the front. And so we've really done some really fun things in expectation of being able to have the public come out, which is not there yet, but we're, we're working our way there. And so, but the tasting room, we've, we just had a lot of fun with it. We wanted it to be just something unique. It's not the typical tasting room. You're not going to walk in and go, oh, this is really, you know, you know, something I see everywhere. Um, so we did just some different things. So I'm not going to spoil it, but people have to go on and look at the pictures or, you know, come and visit at some point in time. They just need to come out and visit. Because, I mean, I know when I pulled up, I think I got greeted by the cat. 
yes, you got the resident cat that is the watchdog, so to speak, and then also the greeter at the door. And the chicken. Oh, I forgot about the chicken. And the, and the dog. dog. So, yeah, you had a small farm. Yes. Yes, that actually they did. They all kind of hung out and kind of mingled around, which is kind of odd. Yes, usually one chases the other. No, no they're not allowed to do that. So, uh, and the, the, we don't have the cows anymore. Otherwise, they would have been chiming in too because they love to just talk to people. Well, of course, that's what they do. So where do we find you on social media? Where do we find you as far as the websites? So we have a website. It's lavaterasellers.com. Um, social media, we have a Facebook page um, that people can and also Instagram. take a look at too. And Instagram, thank you. Um, and then we actually have our wines in several of the retail locations around town. And so the list is actually on the website. If people are interested, they go to the website and they can take a look at the list to see where they can buy it closer to where they, wherever they live. But we, all, we have the wines distributed in around Central Oregon in Sisters, in Terrebonne, in Redmond, and Bend. And so but, it's pretty easy. But to we are them. open to having wine shops contact us if they want something unique that, you know, we, we're more than happy to ship or deliver cases around the state. It's always fun when you find something that's new and different and unique. I mean, in the Willamette Valley, you get Chardonnay and Pinot, and, you know, sometimes people get Pinot'd out. I mean, there's just a lot of Pinot in the valley, so it is nice having that, maybe that secondary red or, you know, something new for somebody to fall in love with. Yeah, and we really, really hope that people will, you know, want to just kind of, you know, take the leap and look at something new. It's good to kind of open your your palate and try some th- new things out there. And this is one of those, well, you know, I think one of the great things about the varieties we're growing and where we're growing is that, first of all, the varieties are really disease resistant um, and uh, to fungus and to other pests. So we, we virtually don't spray. I mean, there's no need to. Um, and then they just, they, they take less water uh, than, than other crops that they grow over in Central Oregon. Uh, and so I'm thinking the carbon, the carbon footprint is a lot less than, say, growing alfalfa or wheat or any of those. And, you know, we're really gone out of our way to, to go down the um, regenerative farming avenue and try and, and the organic part of it. Uh, you know, we're not completely there yet because I, I know there's some certain requirements that we need to have a few years to kind of go through to make sure that we're there, but that's the goal. And we've always used the material that's on site from the cows or, you know, when we do the hedging of the, of the vines to weeds to compost everything and, and just really build up the soil uh, on that site. Because honestly, in Central Oregon, it's sand, ash, blown in, and not much organic material. It's really low on organic material because such it's young, such young soils. For sure. Well, that kind of leads me to my question, which is the last question of the day, of course. We're not going celebrity with this one. We are going more food and wine pairing because these are different varietals. And we talk about wine and food pairing all the time because wine and food go together. So number one, what is the strangest pairing you have seen with one of your wines? And number two, what is your favorite wine and your favorite food pairing that you two enjoy? Well, my favorite varietal of 
the wines that we have is the Marichal Foch. That is my absolute favorite. It's my go-to anytime, you know, it, it's what I drink at night. And I love that with just a great steak and vegetables out of the garden. And, you know, that's kind of, we, we eat simplistically. So it's, you know, grass-fed beef that we raised on the property that's now in the freezer. And it's vegetables from the, the garden that we'll go out and harvest and put that on the plate. And, of course, Dwayne cooks. So it's the deal. I, I clean, he cooks. And so you put that Marichal Foch in your glass with a really nice steak and vegetables, and it's a wonderful evening. Perfect. That sounds delicious. That actually sounds like what my dinner is going to be tonight. Um, so, But as far as strange, there's always a strange pairing that you've heard of somebody pairing with something that you've made, whether it's some weird seafood or it's some something. So there's got to be something I, you I, can share with us. I was amazed. We did a chef's winemaker's dinner uh, a couple weeks ago, and the chef, uh, we paired the rosé with uh, short ribs. And it was absolutely phenomenal. And then uh, I've also, I've, I've gone to, uh, went to a get-together here a while back, and, and I had some La Crescent with me. And I'm, I'm, had this, you know, it's onions and peppers, cilantro, and thought, I'm like, wow, this really goes good with this. Sounds like ceviche. Ceviche. Yay, yeah. ceviche. <laughs> we love ceviche yeah. around yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that was uh, kind of an eye opener that it really does well with those spicier dishes. You never know until you pair them together. So anyhow, thank you too for making the trek all the way over here because it was a good one. Appreciate your time, appreciating you sharing your story and your wine and everything with us and we will see you soon. Thank you. We look forward to it. We want to give a special thanks to all of our partners of Wine Crush Podcast, sponsored by Country Financial, produced and managed by the Daydream Agency, and to all of our wonderful listeners in Oregon wine country and to those around the world. Hey, thank you so very much. We really appreciate all your support.